0: Hello everyone, welcome back to Holiday Season on It's a Wonderful Podcast. Is this slightly less of a Christmas movie than the other two we've done so far? I mean, it is set at Christmas, but is it it entirely warm, Christmassy vibes? Or is there a little bit of a sinister undertone (laughs) to this admittedly rather silly comedy movie. Again, we had a silly comedy movie last week on holiday season of It's a Wonderful Podcast. Bob Hope in The Lemon Drop Kid. Very much, as we said, a one-man show. Not to discredit the supporting cast in The Lemon Drop Kid, but it's clearly there for Bob Hope to display his talents. We're not dealing with a one-man show. This week, though, because the, we have three leads, a, a trifecta, a trio of tremendous talent, I'll say, to, just to get the uh, alliteration in there, because I like to do that <laughs> often. Um, this movie is, is weird, Janine. It, <laughs> it's weird. It's out there, it's unusual. It has what I think is a phenomenal style. Of comedy to it though. And I can't wait to actually get into talking about this one. It was a movie that I had never heard of before uh, doing some, you know, of our research before.
1: Yeah.
0: Holiday season, wanting to find out what there might be for us to cover and all this kind of stuff. And it is these more low key Christmas movies that we have found this year. And We're No Angels from 1955, I think, falls into this low-key, perhaps under-discussed, given the fact I, I'd never heard of it. I assume you had never heard no, no, of it. No, no, never. And this is me as a Bogart fan, <laughs> who, you know, just goes, maybe maybe it's... Um, Maybe it's not registered in my mind when I've searched through bogart's movies as a as a movie I would want to watch me being me goes for the more noirish detective yes. lawyer type movies anyway um and this certainly is light years away from that. Humphrey Bogart, Peter Ustinov and Aldo Ray are our three. Let's call them angels, because I, I think they turn into angels by the end of the movie, kind of. It's weird. They don't yes. actually turn into angels. It's not a Clarence, and it's a wonderful life situation.
1: But the, that tone um,
0: is there. That tone very much is there. It is a, I think, quite... I mean, I, I, I would say quite a unique movie, but it's perhaps just because I don't tend to watch these kind of movies a great deal. It's... Clearly based on a play, um, yet is a real technical spectacle of a movie that feels very big, it feels very fancy and grand, yeah. yet it's all set in one, one place, yeah. It's uh it's quite impressive in that way. But ultimately, what do you think about We're No Angels, Janine? <laughs>
1: Uh, definitely ended up being more of a dark comedy than I expected it to be, as our convicts in this film are, some of them are murderers. Like, I expected them to be something, something not as deadly, uh, uh, you know, as their crimes, like, you know, thievery and things like that, which they are, but, um, you know, how casually murder is mentioned in this film. (laughs) considering the tone was a bit of a surprise. Um, But it doesn't really pull you out of it. You're just kind of going with it because they really um, set up the tone well for you. Um, and and are consistent with it. Um, but yeah, ultimately, uh, as I've mentioned, when we started this series, it was really, um, a little bit of groundwork that we had to do going into wanting to continue doing Christmas movies every December on the podcast, because we felt like we've exhausted, uh, kind of the bigger names in the genre, so we really had to do a bit of research this time around to find things uh, to talk about that were on the Christmas theme. So that's how this film came about, as a film that both of us had never heard of or even had any kind of idea of, uh, especially because it includes such a big name as Humphrey Bogart, who we talked a lot about on this channel. So... um I was really excited that we found this, especially to see an actor uh, known for more noir, serious work like Humphrey Bogart to lean more into comedy, because that's not something I could picture. So that was like really what piqued my interest and uh, he brings his dry sensibility and his um, his aura as a, a leader type. this role, which, which made it work. I was like, I was not expecting Humphrey Bogart comedy to work, but he's kind of still doing what he always does. And they made it fit to what this film was trying to do, which just made it really fun. So in the vein of what we talked about last week, a silly comedy, but done in a different way. So, um, really unique in that sense and i I really found myself having fun with this movie
0: yes i mean we should mention the the (laughs) kind of base scenario of the movie is that the our three leads are escaped convicts we are set in french guiana in 1895 um they are escaped convicts from from a, a penal island just off the coast of, of French Guiana called Devil's Island, which Devil's Island is still there. It's no longer a prison, as far as I'm aware, but it, it it's, it's an island. You can go if you want to. Um, but they are escaped convicts, and they find themselves on the mainland in in the city of Cayenne, I think it is. Yeah. And they happen upon a shopkeeper's, and his family, and kind of start to help him out with the ultimate goal of robbing him blind and taking everything for themselves to continue their uh, freedom, their their you know desire for a free life. Yeah. Yet the three of them all work together so well and are clearly very, you know, connected to each other. So how free they actually want their lives to be. This is not the defiant one situation where our our prisoners are connected to each other, but really don't want to be. And and that's what makes them want to be more free. This is a situation of the three of them needing to be free together. Yeah. Which is very is interesting and it, it does, you know, you do feel that bond between our main three very, very strongly. I really yes. do like that about it. Um, but ultimately, we are in this situation with these convicts and this family that they continue to stick around over the Christmas period for... And just kind of gradually help out more and more and come to like them more and more. Come to really care for them while still seemingly wanting at some point to rob them. To still rob
1: them and also doing their kind of thievery and bad kind of behaviors in an effort to help them so there's a point in the movie even where they put on this christmas dinner for the family all out of stolen goods and things that they've acquired to put it together
0: yeah (laughs) it's but i think i think this is where the the christmas spirit of the movie i think does come into play because it is it's still wholesome while as you say being very darkly comedic and yeah. frighteningly dry comedically yeah. as well and i think that's what really makes it stand out for me is just the dryness which with with which everything is delivered um and some some fairly ridiculous situations and quite you know ridiculous lines really to be delivered yeah. um in context of what's going on in the movie but nothing to draw attention to and kind of people will walk past people in in, in the background and things and there's obviously not a, not a not a massive cast of people in this movie but I think we get a really great ensemble cast in the movie as well yeah as, as outside of our main three um But there's an awful lot of what feels like potentially ad-libbed facial expressions, potentially just kind of accidental banging into each other, that are not kind of thought about for more than a second. But one of the fellow characters may just give kind of a little side-eye look, and that's what brings the comedy of this movie out. I think it's so natural, and they—they they just seem like our main three. Just seem like they're having a blast with each other. Yes. Whether they did or not, I couldn't say. Yes, I, I don't know. I don't think it, it's you know. I don't think that sort of information is out there. Um, and if it is, I haven't found it. But it really does seem like they are. I love it for that. We are at risk, Janine of getting on (laughs) and going on as we always do i do not like it when we do
1: this
0: (laughs) because we stop abruptly and i don't like stopping abruptly but we must of course we have to say a big thank you to all our glorious patrons of it's a wonderful podcast we love doing it every single week on an episode of one of the shows It's the least they all deserve. They are wonderful people for supporting us how they do. If you would like to join them and join us on the Patreon, there is a link in the description of this episode to go and do that. There is also a donation link in the description as well if you would like to support us that way. But we'll start by saying a big thank you to Marie Zambino. And thank you, Adam Witt. Thank you to Michael Smith. Thank you, Amber Coates. Thank you to Abby Friel.
1: Thank you, Ferris Muthana.
0: Thank you to 90s Comics Box, Janine's big brother Justin.
1: Thank you, Video Drew.
0: Thank you to Tina Farrow.
1: Thank you, Marcus Burton.
0: Thank you to Steve Movie Fanobi.
1: Thank you, Samir Tesfai.
0: Thank you, Patrick Harden.
1: Thank you, Carla Fees.
0: Thank you to Delicia Butler.
1: Thank you to the great Ken Knapsock.
0: Thank you to Tom and Kimber of the Odd Shape Channel.
1: Thank you, Eric Garcia.
0: And thank you, of course, to Billy Pollahan. Yes, Yay. applause for the patrons and applause for the movie. Janine, our, our supporting cast in this movie, aside from our main three. And with our main three, really, I think it would be... You know, I think Aldo Ray would be forgiven for losing himself amongst Bogart and Justinov, who, are, who yeah. are large characters. They're big characters. And I know this is obviously at the tail end of Bogart's career, but Bogart's still Bogart. He's still yes. bringing all the He still has that name charm. recognition. Yeah. Well, not even just the name recognition. I just mean the on screen. I just mean the screen presence, Rika. Really. Mm hmm. And Aldo Ray's great in this movie. Aldo Ray is great in other movies that I've seen. Aldo Ray, um, he's not Bogart or Eustinov, though. And no, but I think know, he's they... bringing
1: an element of sensitivity that you don't expect, so I think that's what makes him at least stand out somewhat amongst the other two, at least for me.
0: Oh, a hundred percent, they are all three very distinct characters, and I think that's so important. Um, but This is at the tail end of Bogart's career. He would he he died in 1956. This movie's 55. Um, This is reasonably early in Peter Ustinov's film Mm -hmm. career. Um, You know he's not quite at the kind of early 60s Peter Ustinov peak. Think Spartacus and things like that. Yeah. um, That that he would get. So those two larger names that you're getting here are... You know, it's interesting to watch this movie in context of both of their careers, because perhaps as Bogart was getting further into the 50s, he, he might have wanted to ease up a little bit. He might have wanted to have a little bit more fun. He is, you know, fairly comfortably... A serious role actor. Yeah. Pretty much all the time. That's not to say he can't be funny. He can be funny, even in some of those more serious roles. He can be yeah. witty and have really great back and Sarcasm. forth. Sarcasm.
1: Yeah.
0: Sarcasm. He's great, but not this level of natural dry droll humor that you'd get a lot of in this movie and peter ustinov i mean for me steals the entire thing
1: (laughs) yes Mm. yeah his side commentary is great his accent he has this like very fancy air about how he speaks and so the fact that he's supposed to be kind of this ruffian but yet he has this like eloquence. I think it, it I, definitely probably what they were going for. Um, but it plays to some great comedic moments with the character. So I do get what you mean with Aldo Ray getting a little bit lost in kind of these other two having a really distinct thing. Um but I still enjoyed him. Uh, and and like no, he I, he got to have his kind of little moments to be this sensitive, big guy kind of character. But yes, the other two have very much um, these niche things that I think do, do kind of stand out a little bit more if you're kind of trying to rate or rank the three, you
0: know? No, yeah, no. See, I'm not even trying to do that. I'm saying that he doesn't get lost. I'm saying that you would be forgiven for thinking yeah. that he would get lost. And the fact that he doesn't, is massive credit yeah. to Aldo Ray. The fact that he holds his own so well next against to these other what two. these other two, yeah, I think is is massively to his credit. And our supporting cast. I mean, Joan Bennett's back. It's yeah. only been a few weeks,
1: <laughs> and she's already but, back on on our on our show.
0: <laughs> a, a much more wholesome, motherly type of role. Yes, for Miss Bennett in this. Um, the The wife of Leo G. Carroll, who's a great little character actor, always shows up every now and again, has a lovely moustache, is in the Moustache Hall of Fame from years ago, Leo G. Carroll. And um, I, I think, quite interestingly as well, comes in later on in the movie, probably about just over halfway in the movie, is really who would be considered the movie's villain would the movie have one and that's pretty appropriate given that he's reasonably well known for playing villains and very good at it basil rathbone
1: i mean that name generally is just like (laughs) it's already a villainous name like it's just regular name
0: (laughs) you think basil rathbone is just a naturally villainous name
1: yes yes even though he
0: even though he is the most notable sherlock holmes ever
1: yes but still i think that name sounds like a bad guy mustache twirling <laughs>
0: is it because he has a glorious mustache
1: i mean that might be it and he's also very good in this movie at being just terrible and you just hate he is him is so. <laughs> really the worst
0: in this movie he's awful yeah. in this movie yeah But yes, I mean, let's get into some of these plot developments, I suppose, that we find ourselves in in this movie. Because our three crooks um, do kind of haphazardly go about the family's business in this shop and start off fixing the roof, but then get a bit too into conversations with people who are there.
1: But I think there's also kind of this parallel of what the movie's trying to make them out to be. And like, um, you know, the title, We're No Angels, Um, the daughter character ultimately ends up referring to them as the three angels of Christmas um, as she sees how much they're helping the family. Um, And so when you see them, on the rooftop looking into the window from this high point kind of overseeing what's happening to this family and the turmoil that they're going through and hearing the conversations about them being destitute and being under the thumb of this terrible cousin who owns their business and um, them not having enough money and their struggles and they're just kind of you know high up like angels kind of overseeing and watching and and you know and then come down ultimately to give guidance and help to this family i like that they try to illustrate that in this kind of fun clever way by having them up you know fixing the roof and meanwhile they're just kind of looking in the window uh you know eavesdropping for gossip
0: <laughs> yeah i mean that's a very good point i suppose there is a lot of as uh, definitely early on that kind of realistic metaphor of an angelic figure coming down to help out a a poor family. And that is the point of this movie. It is people who you wouldn't expect to turn up randomly helping out a a family in, in need, really, by any way that they can. And they obviously can't do a great deal, and all the goodness that they end up doing in the movie is purely out of the goodness of their own hearts. It's just funny that they keep talking about death and robbery all
1: the time. (laughs) Yes, and murder, and oh, we'll just slit their throat, (laughs) and like those types of conversations. They
0: have this little snake that they carry around in this cardboard crate thing that they kind of set set out on people, or people who they don't like. How they've managed to get this snake, I don't know either. Yes. It came into the prison one day and we just grabbed it.
1: Yes. How? Pet pet How did snake. You just grabbed this
0: venomous snake.
1: Yeah. Pet snake ate off. Oh my god.
0: <laughs> yes, yeah. uh, an unusual name for a snake, I must admit, but yeah. You know, it's weird there. But the snake does come into play um later on too. To dispose of certain people. Um, there's romantic subplots to this movie as well. I mean, with the, yeah. with the family's daughter and the um, the, I mean, what what do you call this man? Is he is he is he is it some sort of relative? Is he is it yes. one of those weird situations? So, is it like a second cousin? Much,
1: yes, it's very much a weird situation that um Leo G. Carroll the man that we're following in his family um is the cousin of of Basil Rathbone's character who is mean and owns the business. And his nephew is someone who Leo G. Carroll's daughter is in love with. So there is yeah. a, a familial relation to this potential romance that's happening. So I mean I guess it is of its time a thing I guess, that was yeah. done.
0: So I guess you know, family bloodlines and all that kind of stuff. I would think yeah. Basil Rathbone would be all for doing this. Basil Rathbone in this movie seems like exactly the kind of person who cares he's about, family about keeping it. In
1: the family. Yeah. But um not not he's so also, much.
0: No. Oh. He's also <laughs> kind of terrible though. I mean, we get lots of lots of strange scenes really don't we of of the three of them um bogart is a almost almost like a, i was going to use the word spinster that's not right is it he spins a lot a swindler he, a swindler he spins words he is manipulative yeah he's a salesman
1: yeah he's able
0: to sell a bald man a hair cutting set for example yes
1: so that's another how he also helps out the family they have problems selling things particularly because they also give people um, you know let people buy things on credit so people will just do credit and then they never get any incoming money to their shop so a customer comes in the mother uh, Joan Bennett, she's dealing with her daughter who has fainted and ha- is having this kind of dramatic episode. So he the goes out... The daughter
0: constantly faints.
1: Yes. Um, so Humphrey Bogart goes out to handle the customer and ultimately uses his, you know, greasy salesman skills to sell people on these things. Like, oh yeah, this jacket, like selling this big fat man, a a, a jacket that's <laughs> the buttons are popping off. And he's like, oh, well, it was meant to be a two-button jacket anyway. <laughs> like... <laughs> uh, and very much convincing these people to buy things, um, and being very pushy and all of that, but it's helping out the family. And you so you can kind of just laugh at at you know how he's selling these people on these things. And um, so it's very kind of sweet and comedic to see Humphrey Bogart in this vein, uh as kind of a greasy salesman type. So though those make for some fun scenes for sure.
0: Yeah, I mean, he's definitely Bogart's. Definitely the brain of the three yeah. of them, you would say, because he's also the one that works to. I'm I'm going to use the term, fiddle the accounts, of yeah. Lee G. Carroll when Basil Rathbone shows up, um, you know, to to make it look like they're actually doing quite well. Yeah, and so Basil Rathbone won't be mad, and probably kick them out of the shop and make them have to live on the street because that just seems like something that basil rathbone in this movie would have would done. do
1: yeah um
0: so humphrey bogart wants to uh wants to help in 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 that vein as well And he's clearly very smart he's clearly very intelligent he, you know he's he's good with numbers and all that kind of stuff yeah um and he does, you are right in saying he he brings a certain leadership quality that I think he's always been great at. He's always been great at being the one in, in control in the room. You very rarely see Bogart not in control of the room, which is why when you do see him not in control of the room in a lonely place, for example, yeah. it is particularly notable. Yeah. Um Aldo Ray is our kind of big sensitive hunk of a man yes. who is very good with advice but also very good at carrying the fainting daughter around all the time <laughs> which he does seem to enjoy to <laughs> yeah. he seems to enjoy doing this very much
1: yeah
0: actually I think he he develops a certain thing for the uh for the daughter, for the daughter not that that, that goes anywhere
1: no, it's just
0: a certain attraction there but yes if you're if you you know physically carrying someone around 90% of the time I think for the you first would develop, day you've met them
1: yes you'd probably develop some feelings as
0: well. <laughs> you, you would, yes. And well Peter Ustinov's skill is safe cracking. <laughs> some of the scenes of Peter Ustinov <laughs> yeah. getting into safes and picking lots and opening locked doors and things like that are so beautifully (laughs) three stooges like slapstick acted yes it's stunning i mean he's making all these strange facial expressions
1: yes as if he's like he's he's in, in
0: tales of terror
1: yes as if he's using some type of precision to figure this out he's just looking at it and he'll like rub on the side of it and you know feel around and put his ear to it and then he'll just like use his elbow and like tap a spot and it'll pop
0: and he looks so proud of himself. He's like a yes. He's like a small child in a very large man's body in yeah. this movie he used it of. And I really like how so often He's the one laughing at his own comments. Yeah. It's like that in the movie. He'll say something and then he'll just kind of go, <laughs>
1: <laughs> Yes, very, be, be, be very pleased with himself. So yes, for He's sure. He's really,
0: really pleased with himself or <laughs> with, with this massive wide eyed grin on and kind of look around to see, like, Hey, see what I just did? See what yeah. I just said? Did anybody get that? Did anyone get that? He's a delight. He's such a delight to watch in this movie i just don't i've never seen anything like this from peter justinoff he's always been a again a very serious kind of theatrical dramatic actor to me who brings a hell of a lot of of presence you know a hell of a lot of gravitas to use yes yes it comes with his voice it comes with his personality i mean he is descended from royalty I believe or I think he's actually descended from two countries' royalty I want to say is he is he like is he is he rush he's part everything he's got so such a a, a wide variety of kind of ancestry, Peter Houston of, but I know weirdly enough he's Descended from Ethiopian royalty.
1: Oh, okay.
0: Partly, but he's all over the place. He's like Hungarian, Russian, Polish, um, German, but obviously speaks with this really fancy English accent. Yeah, that he he obviously does. Um, so it's it's strange to see him in this what. Ends up being a, a physical comedy role. Yeah, I really just appreciated that. There, there is something a little bit Three Stooges about this movie.
1: Very true. Yeah.
0: Without all the face slapping and kicking each other, though.
1: Yes, without the slapsticky nature of things, the dynamic I think is definitely similar. And I wonder. I, I'd like. I'd wonder if that was kind of what they were going for.
0: Perhaps. I mean, the in Three Stooges yeah. were popular for an awfully long time, weren't they, yes. in various forms. But I mean, maybe they were going for something like that. I think they do did succeed, but this is perhaps a more... I don't know. I'm going to say, yeah, it, it, it's it's less, much less slapstick. There's There's not a great deal of slapstick at all in the movie. It is that dry, droll humour. Yeah. That is is based on reaction, an almost unspoken reaction.
1: Yeah,
0: and based on you kind of questioning. Wait a minute, that was ridiculous. Why did no one make comment about that? That doesn't make any sense. What's just yeah. happened there? Why has why has what has just happened gone totally unnoticed? Unnoticed. Treated yeah, treated like yeah. it's the most normal thing ever. And that is what so much of this movie is. I think it's it's great as well to see Michael Curtiz, who directed this movie, he, he makes it feel, and I suppose this, this is the technical spectacle aspect of it as well, um, and maybe the Basil Rathbone aspect of it as well, that makes it feel tonally something similar to his Robin Hood with Errol Flynn. Yeah. You know, The Adventures of Robin Hood from 1938, which is a massive technical spectacle. I mean, it is one of the great adventure movies, I think, yeah. The Adventures of Robin Hood. And, but, but, you know, that does come with its kind of dry humor to it as well. And, just the ability to have these lead actors present themselves as as very much larger than life. And yes, something like The Adventures of Robin Hood speaks to that because it's a it's a big setting, castles, yeah. jumping around, saving the day.
1: Grand, yeah,
0: bow and arrows, you know, all this kind of stuff, sword yeah. fights. Yeah. This is on a much smaller scale, yet it still feels like a big movie.
1: Yes, yeah.
0: I love that about it. I love. It. I mean, you open, don't you? It's what a Paramount movie in VistaVision, and we like VistaVision yeah. and, <laughs> and all the and CinemaScope and all mm-hmm. the other, you know, yeah. kind of nonsense fifties words for big to... widescreen format. Yeah.
1: To entice you in some way, yeah.
0: There's a point as well, actually. I I don't like seeing Humphrey Bogart in widescreen. I'm not used to it. <laughs> Four by three, please, Humphrey Bogart. That's what you belong <laughs> in. A nice little square on the screen. Not none of yeah. this widescreen
1: nonsense.
0: Um I don't know. There's there's a great deal to enjoy about this movie. I think it's such an easy watch, such a breezy watch. Yeah. And and very much from a Michael Curtis standpoint, you know, made me harken back to The Adventures of Robin Hood, much more so than the uh, most recent Michael Curtis movie I've watched again, which obviously was Casablanca for yeah. this show, um, which is which he, he, not tonally similar in any way. No, definitely not. <laughs> no <way.
1: laughs> but I just uh, like how likable these characters end up being. Like everyone, and like I went into it thinking like they were going to hide that they were convicts and no one were, was going to know. But like everybody kind of just knows that they're convicts and there's no fear of Well, it's that. because of
0: what they're wearing. They, they, yes. They, they're wearing these rags. They might as well have prison numbers on the left, you know, yes.
1: chest yes and so and just kind of how grubby they are and yeah it's just okay with everybody okay we're gonna trust you with our money we're gonna trust you with our shop we're gonna trust you to do all these things and that's fine um so you ultimately kind of let your guard down as well while you're watching it and kind of are it it eases you into feeling okay about liking them so you know i i do uh and you kind of can understand where the family's coming from when they they you know want them to stay and they want to welcome them in and they um you know really have have respect for them and you see kind of these one on one conversations that they share with the family and, and you know this uh, uh kind of these sweet moments of them actually getting to know each other on on a more personal level um which is really sweet as well so um it's just so funny that it was christmas (laughs) yes so it's just so funny to me and unexpected that it was like a very open thing that they were convicts and yet and everyone is still so um you know open to them and and really
0: caring about them. So <laughs> um, weirdly enough, even Basil Rathbone, when he comes in and obviously is is contemptuous of them being convicts, but doesn't immediately like call for the authorities or no, something. No, like he's
1: just like, I'm going to sleep with a pistol in my hand.
0: Like so, what are you yeah. doing here? Convicts work. What do you mean yes. you're working at the shop? You can't work at the shop. Well just so you know I don't trust you. Like but this doesn't so make why sense as
1: a yes the fact that no one like was first thought was to call the authorities in general um is just kind of funny particularly this evil man who obviously despises them obviously doesn't want them there knows what they are he's not calling anybody either he's just like i don't like you i'm just going to tell you that i don't like you
0: oh no, he's He's too caught up in looking at Bogart's charming smile and Peter Ustinov's massive, beaming face.
1: I mean, I guess. I guess so.
0: He must be, because that's the only reason I I can uh, figure out as to why Basil Rathbone doesn't just immediately run out of the shop. Yeah, call for someone, and then the movie would end there. But I suppose that that wouldn't be what we would want no, from this no, movie. We want not. a certain sentimentality from this movie, we yeah. want a certain heartwarming nature from this movie, and yeah. we certainly end up with that, um, all mixed in with its murder comedy and uh, <laughs> convict humor and, and yeah. dryness. Yeah, we do end up with a great deal of sentimentality, and I do think the Christmas is it Christmas Eve when they're serving yeah, them the, first... the meal. Yeah,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, it, it's really really nice, and they're all getting the getting the tables all set up. Aldo Rain's kind of thro- throwing plates around and trying to be all cool on his own and making yeah. himself look but... fancy.
1: But that opens him um, up also to have a nice moment with the daughter because. The daughter is in love with Paul, who is the nephew of Basil Rathbone. And yes. um, when she, the family gets a letter that Basil Rathbone and the nephew are coming, she gets very excited. But at the end of the letter, um, Basil Rathbone writes that my nephew, he's betrothed to this other woman whose father is in shipping. And that's what I need for my business. So, you know, <clears throat> he's not going to marry your daughter. And this whole thing. So when she realizes her love, Paul is betrothed to another. She gets very upset, and so she wants to run away and kill herself. And she's so upset. And then she ultimately—it's very
0: this... quick, very quick uh, reaction, really, isn't it? Yes, I- I'm going to kill myself. Yes. And no. so when
1: she <laughs> right, and so then she kind of has this nice conversation with Aldo Ray, who convinces her, convinces her that's not the thing to do, and um, you know. A little bit of the spark of, of the attraction kind of is seen there. And I like that they don't go ahead and like make a thing of it. Like he just, That's he just, company. he just gives her that spark of attention that she needs to know that like I am a beautiful woman people find me attractive. Paul isn't the only thing out there for me. And so he kind of just opens, it, that attraction is there to just open her mind up to that. There's more out there than Paul who ends up being kind of a jerk. So, and, and, oh, they, yeah. and I loved the efforts that the three of them go to, to have her figure out on her own that Paul's a jerk because they know she has this idealized, romanticized idea of this man. They can see clearly just upon like the first meeting of him that he's terrible but they're like we need her to see that he is terrible so we're just going to set her up in a scenario so that it can break the illusion for her and she can figure it out on her own and rays like you know I think she's beautiful I'm going to make her see that she's beautiful so then that'll also kind of break this illusion that Paul is the only one who could see her that way that you know she can open herself up to you know feeling like there's more out there for her so yeah. i like kind of their their sneaky way of trying to at least help her figure it out on her own instead of just trying to tell her um yeah and the fact that they have the foresight and you know thought uh to, to kind of arrange the situation as opposed to just verbally trying to tell somebody what you're doing is not going to work. We need no. We need you to see it for yourself. So, like sure the fair. fact that it, it went that far, I think is really interesting.
0: They're they're, they're very <laughs> clever people. I yeah. um I I I do particularly like. I must admit though, is kind of after. I think it's after the real heart to heart that Aldo Ray and the daughter have. we keep calling it the daughter. She's played by Gloria Talbot. Yes. In the movie. Um, after that real heart-to-heart conversation that those two have, I seem to remember Bogart and Ustinov kind of creeping back into the scene and just going, what have you been up to? What have you been doing here? And he's just like, nothing. We were just having a (laughs) conversation. Relax, you two. Peter Ustinov's got a thing for someone in this movie as well, by the way, that I just temporarily forgot about.
1: Yes. But
0: the, the older woman who comes into, who comes into the, the shop. shop,
1: this like, you know, stodgy kind of older lady who comes in, ample woman, and he's just very smitten with
0: her. But you know, fair, go for it, Peter. Yeah, you know, name. why yeah. not? Get it. Bogart. Bogart doesn't have any romantic interest in the movie, it must be said. No. They, 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 the most romantic interest he has in the movie is with joan bennett and that's not at all he's just nice to joan bennett because
1: yes he's
0: supposed to be they do
1: comment on her being attractive but they don't you know try to pursue any kind of situation with that no
0: and there's even decent enough scenes between joan bennett and and leo g Carroll to make you realize why they are together and how much they do care for each other because Leo yeah. G. Carroll admittedly does come across as as a little bit spineless
1: yes he, and he, he's like, like he's not got and, much yes going for him <laughs> and he's, he seems very uh, like very much older than her so you know you can yes. un- see like okay how are these two together um, but they do, yes, like you said, set up enough of a dynamic that you see that there's genuine love there and care there and, and 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 a reason for them to be together and you like them together.
0: Certainly a more a reasonable relationship for Joan Bennett to have in this movie than the last movies we saw her in. Yes. Which were not relationships she she she, she wanted, well, or not a relationship she wanted to be in. To be in, yeah. Get away from Dan Duryea now.
1: Yes, <laughs> terrible, <be>. terrible man.
0: <laughs> Leo G. Carroll's better for you.
1: Yes, yes.
0: Anybody else is better (laughs) for you than Johnny from Scarlet Street.
1: Yes, but very much like um, the actress I mentioned last week with... Billy Bird, who oh, is yes. very much an actress who, you know, uses her screen time well. I think Leo G. Carroll is very much the same because I immediately recognized him from not even a leading role in just growing up watching yeah. him in the Parent Trap movie. He very much has a, a very funny uh, character in this reverend because it's a very complicated situation. Obviously, if you've seen the Parent Trap, you know the... um uh Haley Mills one
0: yes um,
1: yes yes uh where uh the dad his uh fiance has come with a reverend to meet him and talk about their impending wedding all while his ex is there and the whole time Leo G Carroll's a uh, reverend character is flirting with <laughs> With the ex and thinks she's the sweetest person and kind of fawning all over her to the frustration and chagrin of the fiance, Vicky. So, like, all his scenes just in that little short segment of the movie he was in has stayed with me all these years. So then in seeing him pop up in this movie, it was a nice kind of familiar thing and I just recognized him as a very great, uh, unexpected comedic actor because you would look at him and not think he'd be very good at kind of uh, anything of this vein. But I already knew he would be because he was so memorable in his short little bits in The Parent Trap. So he he was a a nice surprise and it very much reminded me of last week and um, uh seeing billy bird she very much had a small role but because she was so good at like using her screen time to the best of her ability and has this very memorable unique style and what she does i was able to yeah. kind of put her together from home alone so many years later from the lemon drop kid and her little bit part in that so i like when there's like an actor who you kind of know more for side things but you know them to use their time so well that they just kind of stick with you. So it was great seeing him in this to have a leading spot and and really uh, show his kind of dry, uh, comedic flair um, and also be kind of just this very likable character
0: that you feel for. So Yeah, he's very, very sympathetic in this movie. You are entirely right. I think Leo G. Carroll is is a great, well-known face that you may not know the name of. In old Hollywood, he he pops up so often. Yeah, always gives exactly what you want from him. He's a great, great little character actor, um, and you know m- more people should be appreciative of those kind of those kind of actors. Not not the you know character actors come in various forms, don't they? They come in kind. Of, you get almost A list character actors. Who you, who you look for and who might seem at times like they're, they're a little bit too well known to be considered character actors. Yeah. Um. But, you know, where really does Peter Lorre lie on this spectrum is my, is, my, is yeah, always yeah. my question. Yeah. You know, Um. then you do have your tiny bit part characters who you will always remember for maybe one or two things, but make such an impression in one or two things that you will remember them forever, a la Una O'Connor, for yes. example. <laughs> who, you know, has been in so many things, but you only ever remember her for two things. Yeah. No. And there's a reason for that, right? And then you have Leo G. Carroll, who is just the, the definition of consistency in so much? Cecil Kellaway is another one. The definition of consistency in so much. We've seen Cecil Kellaway reasonably recently in The Postman Always Rings Twice. Yes. He was Nick. He just so genuine, quality kind of contract players in old Hollywood who come in do what they do, don't make a big fuss about themselves, but you know they'll always give the best and you love them for it. Yeah. And Leo G. Carroll falls into that, definitely for me. Basil Rathbone is elevated slightly higher than this because yeah. he, he's, he's far more well-known, he's far more A-list, I suppose, yeah. really, in both Britain and yeah. Hollywood movies. Yeah, Um, Hollywood movies definitely as much more of a villain Um, and I I think I know really the most villainous thing he does in this movie Janine, I know in your eyes probably the most villainous (laughs) thing he does in this movie is is perhaps his I'll call it his sleeping attire
1: (laughs) well also the Paul character as well um
0: Yes, he does. He has the same thing. I just, I I just mean, know you always like this, this kind of aesthetic.
1: I mean, this aesthetic, when, you know, you have a term <laughs> for a robe where you call it a dressing gown.
0: A dressing but- gown
1: but when I hear the term dressing gown, this is what I picture. This very much Scrooge look of like a long, like dress of a nightgown on a man with a little sleeping cap, which is also sometimes accompanied by a little candle. (laughs) And so I just have to hear you talk about a dressing gown and that's immediately the image that's conjured. So when these two men popped up with a little cap (laughs) Oh, this little sleeping cap oh my gosh yes yeah, so i was losing it a little bit
0: <laughs> it's just the fact that the little tassel on it is just yes just, just to one side <laughs> why would you wear one i don't and know like, I what don't is the point of it why you what is the point one? of it
1: because you wear it to sleep right but like what do you need like is uh, um, is was this like a precursor to uh you know Women's bonnets that black women wear like where men trying possibly. to protect their hair
0: possibly but, like,
1: very in a fashionable way with a little tasseled hat we definitely need to google that and see what was the point of these little hats and these night caps that we would wear
0: to bed no, I don't think we do because I think if we ever find out that it's actually for a reason and not just purely for the vibes, then <laughs> I think it would ruin our entire concept. That is them.
1: true. That is true. We'll just keep it a mystery then. But um, I'm yes, quite surprised. I, I was very pleased to see these little uh, sleeping caps with a little tassel. I, I, I
0: was surprised Basil me. Rathbone did not come out <laughs> with a candle on a plate
1: yes i mean he has this very you know fancy robe dressing gown as you would call it gown. and his his little tasseled cap so it was a very it was it was very uh, a welcoming image that is, is, is a common joke between
0: us here <laughs> yes well um let's i suppose get into what ends up being the the climax of this movie um and as we say it's a breezy easy movie there's you know this is not a twisty turny plotty movie by any no. stretch of the imagination uh-uh. this is a warm sentimental christmas movie full of uh, slightly dark humor um and the climax is 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 exactly that because really they plant a murder basil rathbone <laughs>
1: Yes, but it's like it's almost how they they end up doing it without really doing it. Like, yes, they have they have talked about how they've used their snake Adolf to kill people on purpose. But in this scenario, they talk about doing that, but they end up not really doing it on purpose.
0: Um, yeah, no. it ends
1: up it ends up being. Basil Rathbone kind of doing it to himself. So they talk about doing this, but then ultimately they don't want to implicate the family because obviously if these two turn up dead, then it turns into the family potentially getting blamed for it and and then, you know, them being confused and going to them and asking, "Hey, what happened to, you know, to to Basil Rathbone? What what happened?" and them having to look them in the eye and, and tell them what they did uh yeah. So, so I that, mean, really,
0: that... they're angels, though, right? They could just grow some wings and fly off, and yes, grow yes, the little halos. And... Yes. <laughs> oh no, that's 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 not. What no, 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 <laughs> no. Um.
1: So I like that they're actually showing this crisis of conscience that they like have this thought to do this, but then ultimately they worry about um having to tell the family what they did. Yeah. So then, you know, immediately kind of works out that Basil Rathbone sees the little cage for the for the snake. And he's, What is this? Is this something you stole? And he tries to take it from him. And they're like, No, that's his belongings. Give it back to him. And he's like, No, I don't believe you. And they tell him that there's a snake inside. And he doesn't believe them. He thinks they're lying because they're criminals. And he's like, I don't want you stealing this thing. I don't I'm gonna take it and you know, tell me how to open it. And The two other guys are kind of like, should we tell him? Should we tell him? And like (laughs) Humphrey Bogart's like, no, we're not gonna tell him. Don't open it. Give it back to him. It's his property. And and Basil Rathbone refuses to give it back. He's like, I'm gonna hold on to this because I don't want you stealing this from somebody. uh, You know, until I figure out what's inside. Even though they've told him that he doesn't believe them, so he ends up taking the cage to his room, uh, and ultimately Adolf gets out, bites him, and basil rathbone is dead so the plan that they had talked about doing yes so this plan they had talked about doing but ultimately decided not to do ends up happening because basil rathbone is kind of an ass and didn't want to listen to them so so they're kind of like celebrating it and they can celebrate it and not worry about kind of the family implication and all of the things that they questioned before because they know they they didn't do it on
0: purpose (laughs) Isn't it nice when miserable people, especially miserable people at Christmas, get what's coming to them? When Basil Rathbone, all Basil Rathbone wanted to do was, on Christmas morning, Basil Rathbone's plan was to take inventory of the shop and look at the books. What a boring Christmas, Basil. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Yeah.
0: Have some fun. No, you've never had any fun in your life. No, I'm. I'm glad the snake bit you to death, you miserable Scrooge-looking Basil. <laughs> yes.
1: Terrible.
0: He's terrible. He is terrible. But oh no, the three of them at this point are quite thrilled with themselves that he's yes. done this and and put it on themselves. They, I think, they take a little bit of joy in telling the rest of the family. Um, yes. And the rest of the family could not care less, by the way
1: yes <laughs> and they feel like, somewhat oh, okay. bad. <laughs> does, yeah, they feel some... died? Yes, they feel somewhat bad that they don't feel bad more is the thing than actually feeling yes. bad. Yeah, <laughs>
0: which I think, if that's the case, then you, you, we are really dealing with just a terrible person, and we and we definitely are. Yes, we definitely are. But you know, this all this all works in in the family's favor, but it does at a certain time come time for our three angels, as they are now. They are no longer convicts from Devil's Island who have escaped and are on the run. They are angels to this family unit now. It does come time for them to bid farewell, to say goodbye, and to wear unnecessarily fancy suits to do so.
1: (laughs) Yes looking real (laughs) snazzy
0: real really really snazzy and well they do they do they do this it's it's quite emotional i'll give it that
1: a little bit bit. because like i had hoped like by the end you know they're they love this family now it's this whole thing they've done all this to help them out uh, let's maybe they'll stay say, there. They yeah, let's stay. stay. Let's turn a new leaf. Let's stop doing crime and just be these good people helping this family, you know, maintain the shop and and help them sell things and all of this. But you know, no, they get their suits and head on their way. And um, uh, you but know, ultimately... reflection
0: isn't there. Yeah, there's 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 self reflection from the three of them as to what they've spent this christmas doing to the good they've imparted on this family during this christmas period the warmth they have felt from each other from the from the family and from their own acts yeah and i think there is a certain turn a new leaf aspect to it but there is that mythical story quality of strangers coming into town dealing with a problem and then leaving at the end they've always got to leave at the end
1: yeah that's usually how that works and and ultimately in self-reflection you say they also decide you know i I don't know that we like it on the outside let's just turn ourselves in and go back to prison prison wasn't so bad until next year and we'll figure out what we can do you know we can do this all over again next year So very much kind of prison is almost like their heaven. They've done their good deed for the year, go back to prison and then they kind of make a conversation about doing it all over again. So, you know, breaking out again next year and doing some type of good deed just to go back again. So... Well,
0: really, it does leave you with that thought of what, you know, what is fulfilling to you at you know, in the holiday season, in the festive period, yeah. what is fulfilling to you? This, this is what's fulfilling to these characters. We spend the last five minutes, especially because Ustinov's doing most of the talking, eloquently reflecting on the goodness they've all done. Yeah, And it does, it, it makes you think about what is fulfilling. The fact they want to go back to prison doesn't matter. Because, like they say, they're quite excited to, oh, we'll try another breakout and do this again. Sure, like we said. Because that's what's going to make a difference in in their lives. That's what's going to make a small difference in their lives. It it is a movie, ultimately, about the very, very festive act of selflessness and giving, and charitable, uh, being charitable, no matter who you are, that the, the openness to understand that anybody regardless of who they are can be that. And if you want to be that, you don't have to feel prejudiced against to, to, yeah. you know, to not be that in any way you want to be. There's a lot of stresses that come with the holiday season, a lot of, of worries and anxieties that come from a lot of people in tough situations at the holiday season but it doesn't take anything it takes a smile to someone to you know to to feel fulfilled within yourself and for that person to be grateful
1: yeah that could turn things around for somebody completely
0: For, for some connection to somebody else, the fact that these three weird prisoners in this movie <laughs> can 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 do this, anybody can in any situation. And I think it's a great movie. It's low-key a really great message movie yeah. to show that anybody can be charitable at, at Christmas and it takes nothing to do it you don't yeah. have to spend 3000 pounds on nonsense you know or yeah. anything like that and nor do spend you have to <laughs> no money
1: yeah nor do you have to apparently change your ways to to help somebody because they help no. these people while still being incredible criminals you know how yeah. they help these people is stealing things and and you know uh being a bit shifty in in matters and kind of thing um and swindling people um but they're doing it to help this family
0: so and sure at the end of the movie when they're they're walking off in the moonlight Uh, and they get these three little halos that ding above the heads
1: including Adolf gets a little one as well in the cage he
0: does yes of course he does (laughs) like they're not They're they're not angels. We're no angels is the title of this movie. They haven't changed their ways. They've just realized that they can do good, which I think is very important. And and, and that is what, you know, kind of creates that positivity within themselves that wasn't there at the start of the movie, even though they did all, you know, feel like one connected unit. Yeah. I feel like by the end of the movie, the three of them are inseparable entities that they're almost mythical at that point, as far as you know storytelling goes. Yeah, that mythical wanderers of of aid and good t- and good tidings.
1: Yeah, I guess,
0: and I I really do like that about yeah. particularly the end of this movie. Um, yes a lot of it is a lot of it is very silly a lot of it's very it is definitely um very very enjoyable i didn't you know i I really really did not know what to expect from this movie in the slightest i had no idea what it was what it was about neither of us did
1: yeah
0: um i think we've ended up with another another little festive gem
1: yeah here. fun little surprise with this one yes Absolutely. Was so looking forward to seeing Humphrey Bogart in this vein. And he did not disappoint. The three, um, our three leads have just incredible chemistry, which just made it really fun. Um, Peter Ustinov definitely was giving me these George Sanders vibes. um, Because you know how much I love George Sanders. Oh, Um, yes, you do love George (laughs) Yes, so Peter Ustinov, definitely my second favorite Disney voice actor. (laughs) <laughs> that we've we've talked about right, on this channel. Yes. Um, you know. Yes. So uh, yeah, just, just really loved this cast, loved kind of the cartoonish elements of this uh, dark comedy, uh, really unexpected surprise with a lot of Christmassy feels that you you just wouldn't expect. Um, yeah. So, yeah, really nice
0: Christmas tree. Actually, in this movie, yes. good Christmas tree. It's always yes. nice when you get a good Christmas tree. Do You yeah. know what is? Do you know, here's a Christmas movie, a really, really good Christmas movie. Janine, whose Christmas tree is totally ruined, and it's a big scene in the movie. the 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 bishop's wife, Carrie yeah. Grant. Yeah. yeah, you know, you get that gif. That you always see of Kerry Grant being all angelic and magicking up all the decorations on the Christmas tree. There's way too much on that Christmas tree. (laughs) Take all of that tinsel off. There's too much going on. Yeah, there's too much going on. A little bit. A
1: little bit. Relax (laughs) with your
0: decoration, Kerry Grant. There is a Christmas tree that is ruined (laughs) by the decorations. I'm wondering if you mentioned
1: that. On our episode, we have to listen back and see.
0: I I, I don't know. I probably would have done. I probably would have done. Look, go back, listen to all previous holiday season, festive season episodes, whatever we've called them in the past. On it's a wonderful podcast. We we have covered a a great many of your uh, old Christmas movie favorites. I am sure. And some slightly more low-key ones, of course, as well, which we always like to do here. But, of course, never have we covered the big one, the namesake of our show, because that's the rule. Yes. That's the rule, yes. Janine. <laughs> we, we don't cover... We don't. we don't. It's a wonderful life. That's just the point. Yeah. That's just the point of this show. Everything else... Um, as good, as, as as life-changing of a movie as it is. Yes. There's a great, there's a plethora of holiday season episodes of It's a Wonderful Podcast for you to go and check out. We hope you have enjoyed today's episode. We're actually back with another trio next week. <laughs> yes. Um, in a movie I'm really looking forward to watching. I don't know whether it will be good or not but it certainly sounds very very interesting
1: yes or what tone it will take if it'll be a more sentimental serious or will it be a little bit comedic yes well i'm I'm curious as well
0: yeah this is uh we'll be talking about the movie three godfathers next week which is a, a western version of the story of the three wise, three wise men.
1: men yes um so very curious about this one john wayne so
0: john wayne is in the movie.
1: yeah yes yes
0: john it's a john ford directed movie yeah it's from it's... 1948 it uh it's i think it's gonna be really <laughs> weird
1: very curious very curious
0: i do i don't know how i don't even know how Christmas. Each remotely going to feel um i just think it's that kind of type of movie that every so often on this show i really like to do just these very unusual concepts yeah. that are movies you've never heard of or you know really really don't think about but yeah maybe are worth really checking out and i hope this falls into that category very much so um but yes continue to have a great holiday season with us and without us here on it's a wonderful (laughs) podcast we also have morgan hasn't seen on this podcast feed where it's holiday season all december long as well Of course, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts on all major podcast platforms. Leave those rates, reviews, answer the questions on Spotify if you're over there. Uh, Subscribing the notification bell on the It's a Wonderful Podcast YouTube channel as well for all the fun stuff we have uh, there. We spoke about the Patreon and donation links before, but you can also find us on social media, on Twitter, And it's a wonderful one. Find me on Twitter at The Purple Dawn with a three instead of the E and the because Janine.
1: Three is a magic number.
0: On Instagram, TikTok, and threads at The Purple Dawn. All your angelic stuff is where. (laughs)
1: You can find me at Janina Bean underscore on Twitter. Janine DeBean on Instagram, TikTok, and Threads. If you want to get any merch for any of our shows, just check the description for the link or search It's Wonderful Podcast on teespring.com. And if you want to purchase any of my art and print form, you can find that at my big cartel shop, g9design.bigcartel.com.
0: Uh, Janine, I, I, w- I would like I would like you to do an impression of Peter Ustinov and don't make it sound like George Sanders.
1: <laughs> it's going to sound exactly like
0: it, it is probably going to sound exactly like George Sanders. They don't have dissimilar voices.
1: No, I think George has a deeper kind of timbre, but um, very similar lilt in their kind of, yes. you know, lyrical voice. Great words. <laughs> uh, uh. <laughs> can't do it. Oh, my God. Okay. A three,
0: a two... <laughs> oh well, it's, it's very fancy and very fancy <laughs> and eloquent. Poor <laughs> Benjy, yes, right. Bye. 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 Bye.